0: Well, my name is Debbie Manning. I'm a pastor here at Christ Presbyterian Church. And a moment ago, you might have looked over and seen um, Carrie Gleason um, picking off some lipstick that I had on my tooth. And we are not a classy group, but we are for one another. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. We are in our elemental series, God All Around Us, and we're taking a look at God's unique presence in the elements So, so far this summer, we've talked about experiencing and hearing from God through water, through fire. Last weekend, John Mitchell talked about through the wind. But today, we're going to hear about how God speaks to Job through the storm. I can't think about storms without thinking about the first storm experience that I experienced with my husband when we were first married, We got married at 21, and about a year into our marriage, we pooled our money, came up with $1,000, and we bought our first car. There it is. It was 1982, and this was a 1970 Toyota Corolla. We loved this car. And despite the fact that every night we had to take the battery out and haul it upstairs to our apartment and plug it in, and despite the fact that it didn't have a handle for the stick shift and we stuck a hockey puck on there, we thought we were so cool driving around in our Toyota Corolla. But a couple months into this car, we took it on a trip from Minneapolis to Columbus, Ohio. That's where my family was living at the time. And we hit storms. Through Wisconsin and Illinois and Indiana, we hit storms. And our little, little Corolla was making it. We're like, yes, this is awesome. It's so great. And we hit Ohio, and things start to clear And we're just a few miles from my parents' home. And unbeknownst to us, there had been a little flooding. And we hit this sort of uh, little valley in the road. And as we hit it, there's about a foot of water. And my husband's driving, and I'm looking at him chatting. And simultaneously, I hear swoosh. And at the same time, it's like someone took a fire hose under his feet. And it just drenched him. I'm talking, he was soaking with water. And of course, I was bent over laughing so hard as he was gasping. And what we found in our beloved car was that um, the floorboards had rusted away. (laughs) And we could see the ground underneath once that water came. But for us, that is such a funny and fond memory. But the reality of storms, um, whether we're speaking physically or metaphorically, um, they can bring destruction and tragedy but they can also bring new life. And I think that's what we see in this part of this book of Job. Now, the book of Job, it's the first in the poetic literature in the Hebrew Bible, and it speaks to God's sovereignty, true faith, and it asks the question, why do the righteous suffer? Now, Job is this faithful man, and a lot of us know this story. It's a bit familiar, but he has it all, right? He's a prosperous farmer, He's got family, he's got servants, he's got prestige. But Satan, the accuser, comes before God. And he says, well, yeah, of course he's faithful. He's got the good life. He's got a great life. Why wouldn't he be? So God allows Satan to take it all. And Satan does. He takes his business, he takes his money, he takes his children, his servants. And then you think it can't get worse, and it does. Satan goes ahead and he puts all these painful sores all over Job's body. So the question becomes how will he who has served God so faithfully, how will he who has looked to God for help and protection react to all this suffering that doesn't make sense, that seems unjust? Will Job remain faithful? And for 35 chapters, Job's friends surround him. And they try to answer this question of why the righteous suffer. And ultimately their answer is, Job, you must have committed some terrible sin for God to be punishing you like this. You've got too much pride. And throughout it all, Job desperately tries to solve this mystery of why he's suffering. He prays, he cries out, he pleads, he even challenges God. But what's clear in it all is that Job's terrible despair and his discouragement, even his lashing out at God, it's not disbelief because he remains faithful. God's existence is never in question he knows that God must be alive. And Job cries out in despairing disbelief, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. And still trusting in God as his advocate, he insists, I know that my Redeemer lives. So, after what feels like a really long period of silence from God, God finally speaks that's where we pick up the story. God answers Job out of a whirlwind, out of a storm. But instead of answering the question of suffering, God has a few questions of his own for Job. 38, 1 through 11, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Raise yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy? shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb. When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in its darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here's where your proud waves halt. Well, God continues on for two plus chapters. And let's be honest, what's your knee-jerk reaction? Because for me at first glance, God's response seems sort of unsatisfying. It reminds me a little bit of my family discussions at home. We'll get into these conversations um, Sometimes they're intellectually stimulating and they're a little theological and philosophical. Sometimes it's just silly conversations. But we have this running joke in our family that whenever one of us makes a statement, my son Sam kind of cocks his head and looks at us and goes, really? And I sort of feel a little bit like this to God's response. But for Job... For Job, no. I imagine God's response blew back his hair. And I'm talking literally through the storm and figuratively. Because here's what God does. He gives Job a creation appreciation tour. He recounts the majesties of nature. He goes from hail to horse. And what's demonstrated is God's awesome, incomprehensible, mighty power. God has all the forces of nature at hand, and he's the master of the storm. Philip Yancey wrote in his book, Disappointment with God, this when he was speaking about what God's point to Job was. Until you know a little more about running the physical universe, Job, Don't tell me how to run the moral universe. You feel a little bit like you want to go, bam! That's crazy. So God, in this passage, what he does, he addresses Job, and he calls him to prepare himself. And then he asks Job, do you know how creation was established? And he goes on to say, and do you have the knowledge, do you have the ability to govern it all? I imagine that might make us step back just a little bit. But I think what holds the most important message in the entire passage is the one verse, the first verse. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of a storm. I think the first verse is so important for what it signifies the context of the book as a whole. The friends, they'd all assumed one way or another that Job's circumstances and his responses to it revealed this sort of rejection of God, who, he, who Job had claimed to serve faithfully. They had warned him, if you don't repent, further judgment will fall on you. Wrong God's not only speaking to Job in this passage, he's speaking to the friends and he's speaking to all of us. God reveals himself in 38.1 in a display of both majestic power and relational presence. Majestic power and relational presence. I wanted to point out too the importance of that the writer used the word, the Lord. Because whenever we see that, it's most commonly used to signify God's covenant character and his promises. And also, as you look at the book of Job, that is used just in those first two chapters when God is describing his relationship with Job. It's a covenantal gesture when God reveals his power and his presence as he speaks to Job out of the whirlwind. And that means everything. The mighty voice of God thundering out of the storm puts everything into perspective for Job, and what it says is this. I am alive. I am here. I care. I'm capable. And I make good on my promises. And if that's not enough, there's far more to this story. So all summer, uh, during the table service that meets here on Sunday nights, we've been going over Brian McLaren's book, Naked Spirituality. And the goal of spirituality, McLaren says, is to lead the naked person to stand trustfully in front of the naked God. And I think that's what's been happening to Job. Job. Now, we've been walking through the four seasons and the 12 practices of spirituality, and they build off of one another. These practices, they come out of seasons of our lives. And we all know that we all either have gone, are in, or will continue to go through those different seasons. And some of those seasons hold grief and loss and uncertainty and adversity and much like Job, we often end up in a season that McLaren explains as exasperation, desperation, refusal, rage, and even abandonment. Does that sound familiar? But what comes next, and we get to see it in this passage with Job, is what McLaren calls, behold. Behold, the experience of wonder and deepening by seeing. And for Job, God speaking to him out of the storm became a behold moment. That invitation from God to open our eyes and to see in a new way. And for Job, the behold came through his suffering. I think sometimes that's a message that we don't really want to hear. Couldn't we just kind of get to that behold without going through the suffering? But the truth is that grief, loss, adversity, they are a reality of our world and of our lives. And when pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see not only are we not in control, guess what, we never were in this truth that adversity moves us toward God, or it can. Difficult times, they wake us up out of our sleep of spiritual self-sufficiency into a serious search for God if we lean into God during difficult times. So maybe that's a question for all of us when things come our way that are hard Are we leaning in or are we leaning away? Tim Keller from his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, says this Adversity does not merely lead people to believe in God's existence, it pulled those who already believed into a deeper experience of God's reality, love, and grace. And one of the main ways we move from abstract knowledge about God to a personal encounter with him as a living reality is through the furnace of affliction. And isn't that true? And over many years of just living life and over some years of doing ministry, that has indeed been my experience and it makes me think of a dear friend of mine. We went to college together and hung out as young couples together. And she had four boys from the ages 12 weeks old to 8 years old. And her husband came home one night and said, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And he walked away. And over the years, she went through her season. Why, God? How long, God? And there's been a lot of pain and suffering. But what she would tell you and what I hear from so many of you when I get to hear about your stories is this. I would never wish this to happen to anyone. I would never want to relive this pain again, but I would never change the relationship I have with God because I am different. So often as Christians, I think we understand who God is and how he works in the world in our heads. But those truths rarely make it to our hearts, except through disappointment and failure and loss. Tim Keller tells this great story in his book about a friend of his who was about to lose his family, his career, everything he had. And his friend said this, I always knew in principle that Jesus is all you need to get through but you don't really know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Recognizing God's presence in the worst of times. We acknowledge to God that what he's been trying to show us is finally coming into focus. We move from when, how long, why, to amazing, beautiful, wonderful Because somewhere in that storm, when we lean in, we hear God's voice shouting, Behold, I am your God. And beholding, it's this slow and reverent seeing with God and a slow and reverent knowing with God and a slow and reverent holding everyone and everything in the light of God. It's in that moment where we breathe in with awe and we breathe out the behold. I think the scene with God is especially precious because we've been in a season of pain and suffering. And the exasperation, the anger, the doubt, and even the abandonment. They can give way to wonder and peace and joy. And here's the truth. We will never truly understand God. Brian McLaren says this from his book, Naked Spirituality. We can rest in God in the eye of the storm, seeing our difficulties neither as punishment for some past offense nor as evidence that God's protection has gone offline, but as an opportunity for God to speak expanding good into an expanding void. I think what Job teaches us is how big and how great God is. After hearing God's argument, Job finally gets it. And he says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. And throughout Scripture, we see that God brings fullness of joy, not despite suffering, but through suffering. Just as Jesus saved us, not in spite of, but because of what he endured on the cross. And there's a poignant joy that seems to come to us only through suffering. So maybe this ability to behold is what God is trying to move us to. We all have our behold stories, don't we? I think about last summer. It was a year ago last June. A young woman from this church was diagnosed with cancer, and I was asked to walk alongside her. So I would visit her at her home. They thought she had two to three years to live. About six weeks into it, it became apparent she only had weeks, if not maybe a month to live. I'll never forget, almost a year ago right now, sitting around uh, her kitchen table with her husband and her 9-year-old and her 11-year-old and her 16-year-old and telling the children that mommy was really sick and that she was getting ready to leave this world and to enter her heavenly home with Jesus. Just a few weeks after that, I was at a fabric store of all places with my daughter who was about to get married, and we were buying all this tulle because we were going to decorate those pews, that's that white kind of chiffon stuff, and while I'm there, I get a call from the husband of this woman dying, and he says, Debbie, Cynthia just passed away, could you please get over to the house? So I hopped in my car, left my daughter at the fabric store. And as I'm driving down the highway, getting closer to their home, I shift lanes. And as I look back, I see all that tool in my backseat. And I'm grabbed by how hard life is, how we constantly hold the joy of celebration, the excitement of getting ready for my daughter's wedding. And then the sorrow of someone losing their mom, their wife. There's tears were running down my face, and I'm saying, God, I don't get this. This is hard. This doesn't make sense. I turn back around, and the skies, it had been a gray and cloudy day, parted, and the sun starts shining. And in that moment, I had a behold moment. God was saying, I got this. I have this family. You may not understand, but I've got this. So is there a message in the book of Job for us about remaining faithful, trusting God no matter what our circumstances are? Absolutely. But I think the real story in Job It's not about us and how faithful we're to be. It's about our God and how faithful he is. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of a storm. And in that moment, God revealed his presence, his power, and his promise. God was saying, I got this, Job. I got you. Together, let's watch this and we can hear more of what God said to Job in this beautiful poetic book in chapter
1: 38. I said, God, I do not understand this world. Everything is dying and broken. Why do I see nothing but suffering? God, I'm asking, could this be your plan? sin has taken hold of this whole land will you not say anything else to me
2: Sun to split.